Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. All right, Church Planner, welcome back to the Hardcore Church Planting Podcast. I am your host, Peyton Jones, and I have a very cool guest today, someone who hasn't been involved in church planting all that long, only since 1978. Uh, he's had quite a whistle-stop tour all over the place. Um, he's been a catalyst. Uh, he's been uh, working up in the Pacific Northwest, directing church planting up there. Um, he is a professor. Not only has he been in, was it Southwest, I believe, and currently the Canadian Southern Baptist Seminary and College. He is also the director of church planning for the North American Mission Board for Canada. So take off, eh? And uh, my guest, I haven't named him yet, is Dan Morgan, as Welsh as a name as you can possibly get. Welcome onto the show. Thank you. Is there any Welsh blood there, Dan? Uh, long, long in the past. Most of my heritage is English. Right. We're not going to hold that against you. I was a missionary <laughs> to Wales for 12 years, so you would you would there therefore be known as the Sice, which is a Welsh term, uh, which we won't get into <laughs> just means the English and that that's bad enough to, to, to the Welsh, Irish or Scottish. So, uh, anyways, Dan, it's great to have you on here. Tell us a little bit. First thing we like to do is to hear how you came to faith. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I, my father came to faith as an adult while he was in the air force and he started taking us to church at that point. So I grew up in the church from the time I was a, you know, a baby and heard the gospel. We had a story lady in our church. And so uh, when my grandmother died, that sort of triggered me realizing that I was going to die. I needed to be sure of where I was going. And that was when uh, the gospel clicked and I became a follower of Christ. Very so cool. About eight or nine years old. Oh wow, wow. Well, how did you get involved in church planning? Because, I mean, church planning's kind of like it's riding the the frontiers, right? I mean, you know, you you've had this pretty uh, you know conservative upbringing, yet you've done a bunch of radical things over the years. So tell us a little bit about how that started. Uh, when I graduated from college, I knew from times in my quiet time that God was intending for me to go into vocational church work. But it was pretty clear also it was not then. But as I began my career as um, a systems analyst for a big uh, computer company, government contractor, uh, there came a point where I sensed God saying, now's the time. So I went to uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary to get my Master of Divinity. And while I was there, when I went, church planting was not a thing. 
it was sort of like you you could be a pastor, you could be a worship leader, you could be a missionary, and if you were a loser who couldn't get a job anywhere else, you could go <laughs> plant a church. Uh, so it, it just, you know, church planting was was the default for people who couldn't get a job. I dig it. You know, always people that, you know, that I talk to like you, it's like I was in church planting before it was cool. And and it was rock and roll before it was cool because, I mean, you didn't have bucks on it. You didn't You didn't have conferences for it. You didn't have really many people you could talk to who would kind of say, well, here's what we do. I mean, it wasn't a big part of the conversation. It really wasn't. And when I was, uh, my mentor was uh, a man named Harold Bullock, uh, who still pastors a church in Fort Worth, Texas. And he began to challenge several of us at seminary to examine where did the lost people live and how are we going to reach them there? And it was the urban areas where you couldn't afford to buy buildings, those areas outside the South. And that began to work on me, came to a point where I realized that I needed to be a part of that. I was invited to be a part of the church planting team that was going to plant a church in Fort Worth that would be four transplants from outside the South who didn't have a church background and to create a model that could be reproduced in any urban area in North America. So that was my first exposure to church planting. Wow. When I finished, like I served there quite a while. I became the pastor of administration. Then I went back to Southwestern and got a PhD in missions with an emphasis on church planting and did my dissertation on church planning in the Pacific Northwest. As I was finishing that, um, some a staff person from up there invited me to be a church planning catalyst for Interstate 5. And that was a job description that didn't <laughs> exist, so I sort of wrote the job description as I did the job. What what did you write it as? What uh, I'm just curious to know this because I know what a catalyst does now and i mean i'm i'm fascinated that your scope was the five the interstate running those of you that don't know from southern california i live right next to it all the way up to uh does it go up to canada uh, it does in my section of it was from southwest washington through portland and about 200 miles down the i5 to a, a little town called drain oregon hmm so I had about a 250-mile uh, piece of it that was my responsibility. So the job that I worked up, I worked with the associational DOMs to create an environment for church planting because it was uh, not something that was strongly supported by existing churches to find church planters, to do the demographic um, spade work to find out where should we be, be planting, um, to bring the guys in, help them come up with some kind of a funding package that could support them, and then walk with them in the early days of their church plant. Okay, so Daniel, this is funny because you and I, we, we know we are on here to talk about, and yet I'm I'm really interested in what you're saying here because Again, going back to your generation, um, and, and forgive me for saying that, right? Like, I'm not saying, hey, grandpa, you know, but well, I, I am I, grandpa, so it's okay. 
I think the younger generation coming up right now, as if they invented church planning, um, really needs to be listening and listening. You know, like I said, like it, it, I, I'm in my forties now, right? And, and so I'm, I'm thinking back to missionary work when we didn't have the internet and we definitely didn't have phones with the internet. Like you had to use pay phones when you showed up to a city. There was no email. There was, I mean, when I first went to the mission field, it was like you, you were, it was different. And, and, and it was in many ways, it was, it was much harder. And I know there's always that in my day, we ate the bark off the trees and walked through the snow. I'm not trying to come off like, like that, but I'm, I'm really interested because you guys, th- this is something that you said earlier. You said that you, you studied mission, missiology, you got your PhD in missiology with an emphasis on church planning. I think that the American church right now is just waking up and it's been happening. I think over particularly in the last five, six years, I know it's been happening longer, but, but it's sped up a bit. People are starting to get church planting. Now is the declines more obvious that this is mission work. And I think that's been a long time coming. So <laughs> getting into my question here. Um, for you guys way back then, right? Looking at the, the corridor of the, the interstate five, what were you doing to identify? What did that look like? How did you know there needs to be a church here? What was the criteria? And, you know, really, that's my question. What was the criteria for identifying places where a church needed to be? There were several different triggers. Uh, one of them, I actually had one group of Baptists that wanted to form a church. So I agreed to work with them to try and do that. Uh, Other cases, it was a matter of me looking at where our churches were located and finding huge gaps and then beginning to do some demographic spade work and talk with the local associational director of missions to see would there be an interest in them supporting a church plant there wasn't a question of need. Um, we needed churches in every urban area along uh, Interstate 5. It was a matter of working the partnership until all the pieces dropped into place. It had to be a God thing. Right. Just to find qualified church planters. Right. There was no assessment. There was um, there were no pools of church planters that I could go fish in. Um you just got church planters one at a time, and they there weren't very many indigenous ones. They right. were coming from somewhere else. All right, all the losers, right? They were talking, <laughs> teasing. But <laughs> well, we but, quickly we quickly changed the the dialogue about that. You know, the few, yeah. the brave, the Marines. Yep. Uh, church planters. Yeah, God's commandos, right? The yeah. <laughs> special forces. So here's here's something that that that's interesting. You've You've hit on something as well that, um, again, is kind of absent from the modern conversation. Now you had the advantage and I'm, I'm with the SBC. Um, but you had the advantage, uh, of having maybe some systems and structures in place at many church planners now because we're, we've got the rise of the non-denoms and the independents, which I came from Calvary Chapel and they're a bunch of hippies. You know, they'd just be like, Hey, we're the Lord guides. He provides man and. Everyone just shot out, and Stetzer said that probably made us the most prolific 
denomination of the 20th century. Well, that's where I started off in. And probably because there wasn't a lot of restriction, but we also had no support. And so one of the things that you've, you've raised is the idea that there was a support of other churches. And I think that's something that even the guys who are not, uh, denominational that listen, this is a, a pretty broad podcast here. It goes out to a wide audience, but is something that ought to be considered that say if you had a city or, you know, a stretch of interstate 200 miles long, that you would speak with other churches. You'd speak in, in, for example, right now, I know offhand churches in Oregon who are saying we want to plant 20 minutes down the interstate from where we're at. And it, exactly the same scenario. There's nothing new under the sun, but it's not the conversation that we're having. It's not the way that we're thinking that, well, what if I spoke to a handful of other churches? And, and church planners have this lone ranger mentality, kind of like Batman, right? If you come into Gotham right. City, Batman says, this is my city, get out, right? Um, he doesn't want any other superheroes in the city. And that needs to change. What, what, what would you say into that particular uh, scenario for young planners? For young planners, at this point, I'm a big supporter of uh, raising a team as your first thing you do. Uh, because there just aren't any supermen out there. And the guys that go out thinking they're supermen uh, end up crashing and burning. Right. Um, and I'm afraid that during the time I've been involved in church planting, I've had, you know, close friends and young men that, that I really treasured who have found the solo church plant in a place that was um, – difficult, like the Pacific Northwest or now in across Canada, it's very hard to maintain your own spiritual health uh, in that kind of an environment when the closest person to encourage you uh, might be several hours away. Mm. So I'm really an advocate for team planting. Uh, right now, I, I think in a lot of situations, we need to shift to bivocational teams where mm -hmm. um, you can thrive in a career, you can thrive leading a church, you can thrive in your family because you share the workload with a couple of other like-minded families. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's the wave of the future for me. When I was, when I was in the South at Southwestern Seminary, even there you could begin to see the unraveling of the paid full-time position. Mm. When I came to the Northwest, uh, it's very rare to find a multi-staff church. I come to, I came to Canada and found the same thing. You don't have a lot of um, financial resources, so we've got to come up with with a model that allows our planters to thrive. Absolutely. Well. It one of the things that you're kind of known um, for, and this is how I came across you. I was uh, working with North American Mission Board developing um, something that they have right now, an internship, and we were discussing missional engagement. And during that conversation, Jeff Christofferson, mutual friend, um, pro probably we would say both of our bosses, um, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he said, you know, Dan Morgan up in Canada, he came out with something called 
uh, one to one rise, one place, twice a week, one person apiece. And it, it's something you use with, with church planning interns. I would love to hear you kind of unpack what it is and how it works because, um, we, we immediately, we, it was Tim Wheaton me and we said, Hey, uh, could you send us that? And it is, it is brilliant. So that, that's the reason for all of our listeners why we want to get a hold of Dan. We had no idea how cool he was before we got him on here. Church planning says, mm, 1978. But uh, anyways, Dan, could you unpack that for us a little bit? Sure. Well, one of the things I noticed uh, over, you know, since 1978 is um, that there are, there's no end of evangelism tools for a person to use, but there's very few systems that give rails to run on. It's for the, typical member of a church who's working at a job, caring for their family, what's what's the, the way that I integrate evangelism into what I'm already doing mm-hmm. instead of making it an activity that I tack on? Because my observation is anytime you tack it onto your life, it doesn't it doesn't stick. Right. So this tool was designed to provide rails to run on. I mean it'll work with any evangelism tool. But it tries to help, uh, especially an introvert, because I'm an introvert, and I, I noticed that most evangelism books and tools are written by extroverts for extroverts. And Absolutely. Introverts, introverts don't find much to identify with. Yeah. Um, so this is Rails to Run On. It provides some accountability. It helps them think about turning every every place they go into relational space. I know that most introverts, if they go to a coffee shop and they have a book, they can spend hours there, never notice anyone else except sort of casually, and they can be absorbed in their book and they can go home never having spoken to anybody except the barista. So this one-to-one rise is challenging them to uh, pick a place that's already in your world Commit yourself to intentionally go there twice a week and hang out. In other words, to slow down. I can go into a coffee shop and be out in a minute. But suppose that I went in there, I got my coffee, I took the time to learn the barista's name. Um, I sat down open to a conversation if one came about and just spent an extra 10 minutes just hanging out there. And if I did that, you know, a couple of places, but one particular place, what would happen relationally if I started getting to know people by their first name? And it's amazing what happens. Right. Um, introverts can do that. Sometimes they need an extrovert to go with them to sort of help them meet that first person. I did I did this as an experiment with, um, I'm an introvert. I got an extroverted friend who's now a church planner in Arizona to go with me. We went into a subway shop. And we intentionally joked around with the person making our sandwich, got their name, used it enough that we would remember their name, um, told them, yeah, we're going to be coming in here regularly. The next week, we had them introduce us to all the other sandwich makers. And we continued to use their first name and then add names. And Mm. by the eighth week, I got a chance to share the gospel with the uh, owner of the shop or the manager of the shop. It was like the third week seemed to be the breakover for us. We walked in, 
and I was watching the faces of the sandwich makers and their faces lit up when they saw us hmm. because we treated them like people and not just an anonymous person there to serve them. Hey, faceless sandwich maker, make me a sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Right. So this tool sort of plays on that. The, the keys to it are to, you start off, the R is remember names. Right. So you're constantly building a reservoir of people who you now are committed to learn and use their name. Okay. Uh, yeah. It moves on to, as you get to know them and ask questions, the opportunity comes to get involved in their life. Kind of the nominal way I describe it when I'm training this is, is you listen for a chance to respond with, um, I could help you with that, or I will pray for you for that. Right. So it's identifying with Christ and getting, you know, serving them in some way. So for example, a, a good case in point. So for me, I am an introvert and people are really shocked by that because almost everything I do, um, my, my gifting is more apostolic. Um, I make contact and create community wherever I go. Um, but I really am an introvert and, and, and my wife knows this, right? Um, I have to function as an extrovert, but my natural temperament is introverted. And, and, and for those that are listening going, gosh, man, that's, that's me too, you know, and it, it, it can be hard at times. You, you need your recharge time and you need your, but for me, that's more of a spiritual gifting that I'm able to tap into when I need it. But the reality is I'd rather just be left alone. I don't need to connect with people. I could, you know, and I, I look at the apostle Paul and I wonder if every time he's saying, pray for me for boldness, I don't think this came naturally for him. I don't think he was as much a people person. Wesley certainly was not a people person, although he was a crazy evangelist. And when you look at Paul, Paul, his attitude towards people before Jesus was, I really want to hurt and kill those people. And I'm really angry at them and can't stand them. And, you know, he his great learning drove him mad. I mean, he was a star student. I think he was more at home, like Spurgeon said, among the books than he was among men. And so it's really helpful that you're, you're unpacking this and saying this, but I remember going, uh, to write, um, one of, one of, it was the book that's coming out now. And I was at the, uh, I live not too far from Disneyland and they have this crazy cool hotel. And I remember sitting in there writing. And started talking to the guy, you know, the waiter, you know, he's like, Hey, what, uh, what do you, um, what do you, what do you, you're working hard on something or whatever. I mentioned a book anyways. He was like, well, I, I write and boom, like I've kept in contact with that guy and he'll be getting a copy of this new book. Now he's not a Christian hmm. and I'll be sending him this, but again, it was that whole idea of I can help you with that. You know, as soon as he knew, like I was, a published author, he, he, you know, he, he wanted, cause I, I think I mentioned something like, yeah, you know, it's funny. Here I am at the Disneyland hotel and it's, it's got Indiana Jones themes running all the way throughout it. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and so it was, it was just kind of funny, you know, but I, I very much think that if you want to reach people, you need to serve them. And so, um, everything you're saying is resonating with real life for me. Exactly what I've noticed working. And it's, it's something that 
someone who's a practiced evangelist does intuitively, but someone who's not uh, doesn't think about these things. And so giving them sort of training them in rails to run on really helps. Um, the, the S part, you know, R-I-S, is at some point they need to share their story. They may share it little bits at a time. But once the friendship is established, there are going to be opportunities to explain why you do what you do. And that's going to end up being pieces of your story. And then for for some, you'll get a chance to share the gospel. Um, there's sort of a funnel. You're going to remember far more names than will let you get involved in their life. Right. And you'll you'll know far more people who will let you get involved in your life than let you share your testimony with them. And it'll even be a smaller number that actually will sit down and listen as you share the gospel. But nevertheless, that member, this this sort of shifts, this shifts into um, church planting. The um, When you're talking about church planting, what the church planter is doing is they are creating a large number of people who are adding a few names that they themselves can pursue, develop relationships with, and they may actually be the verbal witness. Right. So for the church planner, I would coach them. What's important is the pool of evangelistic contacts, Mm. not whether a particular individual shares the gospel with a particular individual. You may end up doing that. But if you can get all of your members contributing new friends to this pool, then it provides you a fishing pond to grow the church. Okay, so I'm going to back up and I'm going to review this. So the first thing that you do is you do this as a team, right? You, you kind of yes. pick a place, you slow down, you hang out there, and then obviously this is going to be a strategic place, right? It's going to kind of be a right. hub. Like you mentioned, a place where people are trafficking all the time. Very, very apostolic, very Apostle Paul in any city you went to, pitch his tent. But now, once you do that, as you hang out, you've got these goals, which arise. R, remember name. I, involvement. Uh, S, share your story. And E, evangelize. So I just want to catch everybody up. That's what we're talking about. This is this rise. Uh, as it, it's rise, one, two, one, rise. Sorry. So <laughs> carry on. Yeah. So a church planner can use it to, to mobilize his people. Um. I would say one way for a church planner to use it is start off in January and go to Easter and train your people, have them start committing to do this in teams where they're holding each other accountable because they're journaling these names. They can get together and pray by name. Mm. They can add more facts as they learn them, as the friendships develop. So you're praying more specifically for people. And then about halfway in, about halfway to Easter, uh, the church planter should do some kind of a gathering event to sort of test the waters and see uh, how many of these friendships are ripening to the point that they'd come to a social connector event. Right. Okay. So they sort of test, see how it's going. They may need to do some coaching, may need to get people to change the place where they're hanging out if it's completely unfruitful. And then as you get to Easter, there's a perfect opportunity if these relationships have ripened for three months to then invite them to come to an Easter service. Right. 
So that's taking it. I'm, I'm stepping up a level is how does the church planner use this as a tool for planning a church? Um, it'll change the life of the individual, but it can also help the church planner. The other one of the things I like about it is that if you were to do it for, say, that January to Easter and then you stop, you know, give people a break. You're not going to work the system. And then you kick in in the fall and do another emphasis. Well, those are friendships that have lasted. You know, the, the pool doesn't go away. And so when you do it again in the fall, you're just increasing the pool of witnessing relationships. Right. Number of friends. So it has a long-term um, impact on your ability to transform a community with the gospel. I dig it. I dig it. Well, that's really good. And there's more to this. If you guys are interested, um, again, this is something that is very practical, very hands-on, and we've just touched really the tip of the iceberg on this. Um, but uh, Dr. Morgan, if they wanted to get in touch with you, and because, um, I mean, you're pretty down-to-earth, you're a church planner. I'm calling you Dr. Morgan, but you're kind of like, it's kind of like Doctor Who, right? Like, we feel like we could travel through time with you and invade universes. You're a pretty cool guy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, now that we've established what kind of doctor you are, um, uh, how would how would church planners? Because I know that's your heart and your passion is to help them, and otherwise you wouldn't have devised this. I mean, but it's a helpful tool. How would they get in touch with you? Uh, they can email me at, at the seminary, and I'd okay. be glad to respond. Okay, great. So, would uh, do you want to give that out, or I think I have sure. it. <laughs> you have it. Go ahead and. Uh, Put it out there, and people can uh, can contact me. If if all they want is the tool to look at, um, you've got master copies of the tool. I'm comfortable for you to send it out on my behalf. Great, and I'm gonna. It'll be in the show notes, but I'm gonna give it to you now. To Dan Morgan at CSBS CA. So um, excellent, and we always ask a question at the end, and uh, usually throws people for a loop, but um, I think we've established that we're not a respectable, respectable podcast. So, um, if you, and, and I can ask about him because, uh, even though he's our boss, um, normally we ask this question, we pick a prominent feature in the church planning world. Now he is the author of a book, uh, Kingdom First, but also, um, he's been on our podcast. So our listeners will know. So here's the question. Always, no one expects it. Um, if you, and Jeff Christofferson were to get into a physical fist fight, who would win? <laughs> Jeff would, no doubt. <laughs> now, why is that? I am way too old. <laughs> <laughs> to he's kind of big, too. Fight. He's, I mean, he's not big like fat, but he's kind of a tall dude. Yeah. Exactly. See, I notice these things. I'm five foot seven. So when I get around tall people, it just it stands out. Yeah, my, my fighting days are way in the past. That's awesome. But okay, so let's put it this way. A young 1978 Dan Morgan against the 1978 Jeff Christofferson. Go. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> he probably still beat me. <laughs> I, I just don't have the heart of a fighter. I love it, man. I love it. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But we're yeah. going to imagine that your six-year-old self, before you came to faith, was... um he was mean and lean and a fighting machine, but like the Apostle Paul, rather than hate people, you became a lover of men. So 
Uh, I'm, I'm down with that. That works for me. Thank you. Our guest today has been Dan Morgan. You can connect with him. He is the professor at uh, the Canadian Southern Baptist Seminary and a church planner extraordinaire, a veteran in church planning, a Paul to your Timothy. And guys, by all means, get in touch with him. He's got great uh, stuff to say and promote. And, uh, he, he really, he didn't, he's got nothing to sell. That's what I like about Dan. Dan's just, he's just here to help church planners. So get in touch with him. Look more into the one to one rise and, uh, see if it can help mobilize your people to mission. And thanks for joining us for hardcore church planning. Arnold. Sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.